Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. We're in this Easter season, uh, this season after Easter called Eastertide. Eastertide is the period between the resurrection and Pentecost. And Eastertide is when we traditionally talk about what it means to be the body of Christ. And so we are uh, embarking on a series, a series of three sermons called Better Together. Better Together. This is also the time that Jeff has, uh, has, has gone on his renewal leave, and we pray for him to, to, uh, to be able to, to, to read, to study, to be in, uh, to be in prayer to, to be able to, to take some refreshing time. And we also pray that, uh, you know, he's resettling his mom in a new place because his mom had a fall. So uh, there's a lot going on in Jeff's life. So I will ask you to keep him in prayer as we enter this period when he's at a time of renewal. But I want you to know we have a lineup. We have an all-star lineup of folks to come in and preach, okay? So stay tuned. Next week, Ron Henderson, okay? Ron Henderson. You'll want to be here for that. The scripture today is from Romans, Paul's great theological statement. So I'm going to ask you if you've got your Bible or if you had your digital device to take a look at chapter 12. Bible Gateway is a great uh, website. If you're going to be on your phone, you can get any translation. We're going to be working from the message today. Scripture today is from Romans. This is to a church he never visited by the way. Paul never never visited the church in Rome. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church as Ryan Coons reads the scripture. Hello, my name is Ryan Coons, and I'm reading from Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us, not by what we are and what we do for Him. In this way, we are like various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we won't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be, without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help, don't take over. If you teach, 
Stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give, aid people in distress. Keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, you stuck in there to the end. That was a long one, wasn't it? The screens just kept going and go. Yes, clap. You can clap. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, hung in there. Ryan did a great job. Romans, Paul's magnum opus. This is when Paul lays out the case for Christ. The Romans was written, uh, they think it's the last letter that Paul wrote, so his theology is pretty well formed. And in true Paul fashion, the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 11, is where Paul lays out his theological thought. And then in chapters 12 through 16, it gets practical. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 12. Paul wrote this um, in about 58, 56 A.D., What's going on in Rome at this point is Rome's a city of about a million people. Nero is the emperor. Remember Nero, the fiddle, the fiddling guy? Um, the Christian church, however, you know, was very young at this point, and it was a lot of Gentiles because prior to Nero's reign, the previous emperor had, 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 just had kicked the Jews out of Rome. So there was a sort of a diaspora at that point. The Jews had been forced to leave, and so the church before Nero was, uh, became more Gentile. After Nero came back, the Jews began to come back. And so we have this sort of a conflict, right, that if you look at the New Testament, it happens over and over and over again. You have the church has got Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and so there's these conversations about, well, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What do we have to do, do I have to, for a Gentile? Do you have to be, become Jewish? Do I have to be circumcised? And then on the other side, you've got, uh, you know, the Jewish folks are like, well, you know, we, we have been following the law all these years, and I think we think that's a predicate for being a Christian. So you have this conflict. What Paul's trying to do is really ensure the survival of the church. This sermon series is called Better Together because it's, it, 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 we're going to get into the notion of unity, this idea that being together supporting each other, helping each other, knowing about each other, standing by each other is an important aspect of our life together. Notice, notice that Paul talks about the body of Christ. That's, uh, that's, that's in the middle. begins in about, in about verse 4. The body of Christ. You know, Paul loved this image. 1 Corinthians has an image of, of the church as the body of Christ. Ephesians has an image of the church as the body of Christ. It's a potent metaphor. And what does he say about this body? That it's connected, right? Who wants to be a chopped off finger or a cut off toe? That's not in the original. That's part of the paraphrase, okay. It's connected. It's coordinated. Each part gets meaning from the whole. It's balanced. I love this phrase, excellently formed and marvelously functioned. That sounds like us, right? Excellently formed, marvelously functioning? Uh, my friend Nelson in the back is like, boy, I wish, I wish you know, all of the mechanics of the church were, you know, were marvelously functioning, right? 
Yeah, that parking lot's not marginally functioning. It's marginally functional. We're going to work on that later. Purposeful. Be what we were made to be. Connected, coordinated, balanced, purposeful. The body of Christ. It's an aspiration. It's a goal. All this preaching and teaching and guiding and aiding the distressed, working with the disadvantaged, it makes you wonder, how is this all going to stay connected? You know, you think about these, these small house churches, not just in Rome, but in Corinth and in Galatia and in, in, in Ephesus. How, what, how do they stay together? What's going to keep them together as the body of Christ? Well, as I thought about this, I, was, I, I found myself thinking about organizational development. I'm old enough to remember um, these different management theories that kind of came down the pike, right? Does anybody remember MBO? Management by objective? MBO? Yeah, I'm getting a witness out there. They love MBO. Yeah, there's reams and reams of paper in MBO, as I recall. Business process reengineering, BPR. Then there was TQM. Remember TQM? Total quality management. Okay, now we're getting warmer. I was in higher education. I spent a career in higher education, and you know, we in higher ed we couldn't uh, we couldn't take something just from business and just use it. So we 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 took TQM and we turned it into CQI. Continuous quality improvement. Yeah, and of course now there's Six Sigma. And I don't, and I I think all of these were important, and I think they they helped a lot. And I'm not here to tell you that Paul developed a management theory. But I, there is this tendency to, to, to try to think, what is the framework around which we are going to be organized that's going to keep us all moving in the same direction? Well, part of the key was in verse 3. It's going to come back on the screen, I think, verse 3. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I want you to notice, I want you to notice where it says... Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace. Pure grace. So that begins to give us a sense of what we're talking about here. What is this thing that's going to knit us together, that's going to keep us moving in the right direction as the body of Christ? Living in pure grace. What does it mean to live in pure grace? This becomes pretty Methodist here, okay? We're going to get a little Methodism, Methodism 101. John Wesley's conception of grace is that there's three elements of grace, right? There's provenient grace, and that's just a fancy church word for saying that the grace was there before we were. Prevenient. It came before us. And then there's the justifying grace, and this is the grace that, that saves us because we cannot save ourselves. And then the third part is the sanctifying grace, and this is the grace that shapes us into more and more and more and more like the likeness of Christ. And by the way, you never get there. Wesley called it moving on to perfection, and what he meant was not being perfect. He meant loving perfectly. Think about it like a house. This is a pretty... I like this metaphor, the, the house. 
Provenient grace is the porch. Kind of invites you on the on the steps, on the stoop. Justifying grace is the door that gets you in, lets you in. And then justifying grace is the our sanctifying grace is the house where we dwell. So as the body of Christ, we're a community of grace. That's the title of the sermon. So I want to talk a little bit about what that means. What does that look like? What is the community of grace? Because that's what Paul was trying, to, trying to, in, to tell us about. He had words for the Romans and he has words for us today. So we're going to go back to, to verses 1 and 2. We're going to just pick up a couple things. Again, I'm not going to read this to you, but I want you to notice a couple of things. One, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's one thing. Hang on to that. The second one, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. That's the second thing. The third thing is you will be changed from inside out. Three things. Place your life before God as an offering. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. You'll be changed from the inside out. Three elements of this community of grace. The first one, what does this living sacrifice mean? I think what it means is that Jesus is asking us, and Paul is, is suggesting, is, is, and the question is, are you all in? Are you all in on this Christian life? Or is it compartmentalized? You know what? You know, you know about compartmentalization? It's sort of saying, well, this is my work thing, and this is my home thing, and this is my recreational thing. In psychology, compartmentalization is, uh, is a defense mechanism. It keeps people mentally separating conflicting thoughts so that they don't experience any discomfort of contradiction. Is it a compartmentalized Christianity? Just a little bit time, just a little bit of time for Jesus. Over a third of churchgoers stopped going to church during COVID. Think about who you missed today that used to be here. Sixteen percent of people read their Bible at least twice a year. I'm trying to think of the two days that that might be. Um, About one in ten engage in daily Bible reading, so you have this kind of continuum, right? probably like this. A little over uh, 28% of folks go to church at least twice a month. Compartmentalized Christianity. So the first part of the community of grace First characteristic is, are you all in? Being all in. The second piece is, of the community is, is that it's countercultural. Countercultural. Remember, Paul said, uh, don't be so attached to your culture. Don't become so well-adjusted that you fit into it without thinking. What does it mean to be countercultural today? Maybe it means being patient. 
I know when I'm in the Starbucks line and that person at the front is getting the Mappa, Rappa, Sappa, Soy, Latte with skim and no sugar. You know, I'm, I'm, I just want coffee. You know? And so I, I start to get impatient. Ours is, an, ours is really not a patient culture, is it? Exercising patience. Verse 12, later on in that chapter, says, don't quit in hard times. Pray, pray all the harder, being patient. What about being hopeful? I don't know about you. I don't th- I, you know, when I, when I pay attention to my feed on, my, uh, on Facebook, and uh, a lot of it's not hopeful, honestly. I mean, the cat videos are kind of hopeful, but I don't watch those much. Verse 11 of this chapter says, be cheerfully expectant. You know, we, we Methodists talk about make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I think you have to be an optimist to engage in that work and be hopeful. What about humility? That's countercultural. I wish C.S. Lewis would have said this, but it turns out he didn't. Um, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Actually, Kenneth Blanchard said that. If you ever read The One-Minute Manager, that's Ken Blanchard. Paul Hersey is his partner in that. But anyway, don't ask me how I know that. I, I, it's too long ago in my, in my education, but... Or you could, you, could be like, you, could, you could ascribe to another philosopher, Dr. Phil, don't be a right fighter. You know what a right fighter is, right? It comes out of couples therapy where you've got one member of the couple that, in, that says basically they have to be right about everything no matter how tiny, no matter how small. They just have to be right. Their identity is wound up in being right, being a right fighter. I was, just at a, uh, I was just at a session over the weekend with the bishop, and we we're talking about the United Methodist Church and what's going to happen. And I don't know if you've been, you've been, you've been following that, and I, I'm, we're not going to get into that this morning, but it strikes me that there's a lot of right fighting going on in that discussion. I'm right. No, I'm right. And you kind of clash. Rejecting that is countercultural. There's a collective aspect of this too. I've talked about the individual pieces of this, but there's a collective aspect of being countercultural because we're not supposed to be a go-along-to-get-along type of community. We're supposed to be a community. We are a community, and we aspire to be a community that cannot walk by the wounded stranger on the road. We don't pick up the first stone. We love people. Completely, as they are, as God made them. We cannot look at 48,000 children in foster care in the state of Texas. We cannot look at 5.4 million uninsured people in the state. We cannot look at one in eight families suffering without enough to eat or 28,000 homeless or rise in, or a rise in hate crimes against people of color, people in the LGBTQ community, 
the trans community, people who are different. We cannot abide looking at that and just shrugging and keeping moving along. A countercultural church says, that's not right. Part of being the body of Christ, part of being the body of Christ, is to work against those injustices. A countercultural church rejects rule following that excludes and denies and cancels. Friends, differences of opinion are a reality. The division is a choice. The countercultural church says we choose to be better together. The third thing is transformation. Transformation. So we've got three things going on. The third one is transformation. Community of grace is transformational. The Greek word is, I love this, the double O at the end, metamorpho-o. See, isn't that just fun to say? We're going to turn you into Greek scholars. Metamorpho-o. And that's where we get the word metamorphosis. And so we're not talking about changing your mind or changing your lifestyle or changing out the furniture or changing your socks. We're talking about radical and complete change. We're talking about the change a change so radical that even the Texas Rangers could become World Series champions, okay? Radical change from the inside out. Can people change? Can people change? Of course they can change. But it takes awareness. You have to to want to change. It takes intervention. Something has to be different being on a particular trajectory and then getting moved off of it. And those two things are really important. But it also takes support. The help of others. Ask anyone that's ever been to a 12-step program how important that is. So how do we get started? Okay, this is... This is great, preacher. Now what? It's a tall order. It's a lot to do. Well, the good news this morning is that we are not alone. Praise God. Yes, we are not alone. And, and Wesley's given us a, again, Wesley's given us a little, a little sense of what we can do. What we need is a catalyst for transformation. You know, you remember your high school chemistry. A catalyst is an, is an is something that gets put into a a process to make the chemical reaction happen more quickly. Well, Wesley's idea of the catalyst are the means of grace. Acts of worship, going to church, receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion. Acts of devotion, private prayer and Bible study. More than twice a year. Acts of compassion. Reaching out to a neighbor in need, telling a friend about God's love. That's what we're talking about. Acts of justice, working to eliminate racism, advocating for the poor. Those are actual things that they don't don't save us. Only God's grace saves. But what it does is it puts us in this position to open us up and allow God to fill us. 
and we make room for the Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives. You know, there's six small groups here, six small groups that meet every week. You could be in one of those if you're not already. There's two studies fixing to happen, two short-term studies. Those are ways to experience the means of grace. The hospitality team could use a little help making coffee, greeting people. Stephen ministers, they're Stephen ministers. If you, if you have a heart for people and you want to be a Stephen minister, I'm sure there's folks here who can help you with that. My friend Nelson is trying to put together a group of folks, a group of guys or, or, or women who want to help with some of the maintenance stuff around the church. So if you, if you believe that a toilet plunger can be the means of grace, what we're talking about is, is kind of breaking it up, is shifting the game, introducing some new elements into your daily routine or your, your routine to, to, to move you closer. You know, it's, um, it's, um, it's out of fashion to have invitations. Don't get nervous, okay? I'm not going to have an altar call. I grew up having altar calls. We're at Southern Baptist Church. You, every time there was a gathering, there was an altar call, every, every time. We're not going to do that. But I'm going to invite you. Remember that image of the house. And if you've... If you've never made a commitment to join this community of grace, I'm going to say today's the day you could do that. I'm going to invite you to come on the porch. Just come on the porch. If you've been committed, you've been in the house, but you left the house because you're like, something happened. I don't know, somebody made you mad or you know, they didn't treat you right. That happens in the church. I'm going to invite you to come back on the porch. If you're nominally committed, maybe you're on the porch, but you're just kind of looking in the door in that compartmentalized kind of Christian life, this kind of bourgeois Christianity that's like, well, you know, it sort of goes along with my lifestyle instead of being a way to live. I'm going to invite you into the house. And then if you're, if you're fully committed, if you are in that zone, that flow, where sure, sure you have some, some things that go on in your life, but you, you've got the assurance and the practice of these holy habits, I'm going to ask you to think about who you... Like earlier, who do you miss around here? Who do you know that's on the porch or just peeking in the door? Or who do you know that's left the house? I'm going to invite you to, take a, to, to reach out to them and love them and reach out to them and talk to them and reach out to them and say, you know what, I don't care what happened in the past. I love you today. And I want to worship with you. And I want you to join me in this community of grace. Because, friends, there's a lot to do. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We are not alone.
Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that you surround us with grace. That your grace meets us wherever we are. Whether we're committed, whether we, were, we used to be committed, whether we're marginally committed or whether we're fully committed. Lord, meet us where we are and let us live completely into the community of grace. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.